Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're going to be in Mark 11, starting in verse 27. For those of you that uh, are, are new or haven't been in a while, we're walking through the book of Mark. And uh, we have been walking through this verse by verse, so some may say, come on, preacher, this is Easter. You have to preach on the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb. And to you, I would say that every sermon should preach about the cross, the resurrection, and the empty tomb. Because it is there where we find the grace of God through the cross and the power of the resurrection. So even though we're not in that passage today... Just think of what you have to look forward to if you stay around in the coming weeks, all right? So many do not want to be told what to do, right? Some people do not want to be told what to do. Other people don't want to be told that you're doing something wrong. And because of that, that's called pride. And pride has has been dressed up by by people to be defined as rights while biblical principles are ignored. In today's world, there is definitely pride is is kind of trumping, or maybe that's a bad use of, of terms, pride is overtaking or taking the place of biblical truth. So the, the end result is, is that what, where does Jesus stand in all this? And the truth is, Jesus will call us out on this. Not in a hateful way, but for the purpose of us repenting and the purpose of us returning to him. So we're going to be looking at that today as we celebrate Easter Sunday. So if you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and turn to Mark 11. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Or if you're following along on the Bible app, uh, there is under the events. You can find an outline there. Well, the first thing that we see this morning is that Jesus welcomed those who were sincere and pushed away those who were not. Let me say that again. Jesus welcomed those who were sincere and pushed away those who were not. And you'll be able to see that as we look in our scriptures this morning. Well, starting with verse 27 of chapter 11, we see this. Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priest, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders came up to him. Now, just a little side note, not just a few verses before this, we saw where Jesus had gone into this very temple and cleaned it out. He had kicked over tables. He had ran the money changers out. So this was that awkward moment to where he has just come back after he has cleaned the temple out. And so now he is walking in and all those people that have been called out, these religious leaders that have been called out by Jesus are now waiting to see what he's going to say. And the truth of the matter is they were furious. They had stewed about this. And so when you read this in verse 28, it says they demanded. Now, when you demand something, I remember when when someone demands something of me, they want my attention, right? So it says they demanded by what authority are you doing all of these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Boy, that is something we hear every day. Who gives you the right to tell me what is right and what is wrong? Who do you think you are to tell me? So this is like it's right out of today's 
um, today's setting. In verse 29, Jesus answers and he says, I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer me one question, (laughs) Jesus replied, did John's authority, talking about John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. In other words, he, he said, okay, you're coming to me. Let me ask you first. And Jesus was not hateful, but he was stern. You know the difference between you can be stern with somebody and still love them. He was stern with them. He asked him this question. Again, this is the same man that just came in and cleared out the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't it frustrating when you ask someone a question and they answer it with a question? For example, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go? What time should we leave? I don't know. When do you want to leave? How does this outfit look on me? Well, how do you think it looks on you? That's a good way to get out of that, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was the master at answering questions with a question. Because by Jesus asking this, if they were to say that this was merely human, then the crowd would get mad because all of them thought that Jesus was who he said he was. And so if it was purely human instinct that Jesus did this, and this is the authority that he went on, he just took it upon himself to believe that it was right in his eyes to do this. Now, like many people do today, I don't care what's right or wrong. If I feel it, then it's right. If he would have just done the humanistic side of, I did this because I thought it was the right thing to do, then they could have, they, they would have backlashed on the religious leaders because they didn't want anybody coming down on Jesus who was so popular at this moment. Remember, again, just a few weeks ago, we read about how he came into the city of Jerusalem and they were waving palm branches and throwing their garments down for him and his donkey to walk on as they came in to the city. He, he, was, he was received as a king in Jerusalem. So if it was human, the Pharisees looked bad. And then when Jesus asked the priests and religious leaders to answer the question regarding John the Baptist, he was not trying to evade the question because he knew that this was a trap. If John really was from God, then he was right about Jesus being the Messiah. So you see, actually, they tried to trap Jesus, and Jesus kind of did a counter move on them and said, okay, you tell me, is it human or is it of God? If it's of God... John's whole message was what? Jesus was the Messiah. So if they were to admit that it was God and John the Baptist, they would have to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. I know this is kind of circular thinking here. So either way, the religious leaders were going to lose out. So how did they respond to that? They talked it over amongst themselves. In verse 31, they said, if we say he's from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. Boy, there were politics even even back then, weren't they? Where the politician gets busted on something and they say, I do not have any memory or recollection of that. Is that what you think it is? I do. I do. not. It's amazing what people do not remember. And that's what they were doing. They, they were so spineless. They were so 
fake. They were so insincere with their supposed devotion to Jesus, Jesus called them out on it. They knew what the answer was, but they didn't want to give it. Their answer exposed that they were not sincere seekers of truth. They were just trying to trap Jesus. And when Jesus responded that I won't tell you by what authority I do these things, I want you to see here that all of those that came to Jesus that were sincere, he welcomed them. But if those who came to Jesus were insincere and they were trying to trap him and they had evil in their hearts, Jesus knew how to handle them and he pushed them away. That may be you today, my friend. You may be very sincere. You don't have it all together today. I know I don't. I know I have pastor on my business card, but I don't have it all together. And I'd be willing to bet that most of y'all don't have it all together either. That's why you're here. That's why we celebrate a risen Savior today. But if you are here and you think you have it all together and that you have no need for Jesus and and you have, have got everything on your own, you've got it all figured out, you might want to be careful because if you are not sincere in your faith, Jesus may just push you away. The second thing we see is um, accept Jesus' authority today or be judged by it tomorrow. Accept Jesus' authority today or be judged by it tomorrow. In chapter 12, starting with verse 1, he gives this parable that basically explains what just happened. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard, but he built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to the tenant farmers and moved to another country. At that time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. I mean, it was his vineyard. They were working for him. He wanted to get his share, right? He wanted to make sure that the the vineyard workers were paid, but he wanted to get his share. So he sent his messenger. And at the time of the grape harvest, he sent them, verse 3, But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. Boy, I'm glad I wasn't that messenger. But you know what? Sometimes when we do deliver the message for the Lord, that's what the world does to us. They beat us up and send us on the way. Verse 4, the owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son whom he dearly loved. The owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. You would think so. Right now, again, this is a parable. This is not an actual happening, but this is a parable. This is a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning that Jesus is telling. Now, verse 7 says, But the tenant farmers said to one another, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Boy, that is cold-hearted, is it not? What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked them. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone for the church, by the way. And this is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. 
Verses 10 and 11 are a quote from Psalm 118, verses 22 through 23. So in verse 12, the religious leaders, some translations say they, the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized, hey man, he's talking about us. Says He says they realized he was telling the story against them and they were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went far away. Boy, that is a terrible place to be, to be afraid of Jesus, but also be afraid of the crowd. It's terrible to be afraid of people and afraid of Jesus. So just so you understand this parable, the vineyard owner is God in this story. The vineyard is a representation of Israel. Often in the Old Testament, when the term vineyard was used, it was used to to represent the nation of Israel, the tenant farmers. Those were the rulers of Israel, the people that Jesus is fighting. They're people that are fighting against Jesus. And of course, the vineyard's son is Jesus. And the servants who had been mistreated, they were previous Jews and Gentiles that tried to come to know the Lord and take the message of the Lord. But yet, they were being mistreated by these Jewish leaders. And if you read this, you see that it is a total prophecy or a foreshadowing of what is about to happen. They killed his son. The tenant farmers forgot one thing. What's the biggest thing the tenant farmers forgot? And it's it's very simple if you think about it. Whose vineyard was it? It was God's. It was God's. So they thought that the vineyard was theirs, even though they were working for God. Now, I'm going to meddle for just a minute, and I'm sorry, but there are people that are in churches today, and they say, this is my church. This is my pew. Don't come near it. If anybody comes near it, I'm just going to look at you till you keep on moving. This is where God speaks to me, in this pew, in this square, right here. And if this church is not doing what I think it ought to do, then I'm going to tell everybody about it. And I'm going to get my way in my church. You are having the same spirit of a vineyard worker that has forgotten. This is not James Strickland, pastor of Homeland Park Baptist Church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church. This is the church that Jesus Christ Established, And we need to quit thinking that we have ownership of this when the only true ownership, Jesus has ownership of us. So he has the authority to call, to make the call and to tell us what to do and what not to do. And Jesus knew he was about to die and that those who disregarded his authority would be punished. This world that we live in, it is God's. You as a human being, have been created by God. While you were in your mother's womb, he, he knew you and He knitted you together. He filled and created this world. And by accepting Jesus' authority, we are set free to live under the guidelines and protections. But still, we see here, the Jewish leaders continued with the questions to trap Jesus. This one was a good one in their mind. They thought, yeah, that, that trap, he got out of this, but there's no way he's going to get out of this one. This is a trap that has sprung straight from the pit of hell. 
And if Jesus gave the wrong answer to the Roman government, would go after them. And here it goes. We must honor God's authority by honoring governmental authority. Here we go. I can see the conspiracy theorists running now. This is not, let me just go ahead and say this. This is not a political statement. This is not a political parable. I'm not reading this as a Republican. I'm not reading this as a Democrat or an Independent. I'm not reading it as someone who is a conscientious objector. I'm not reading as someone who wants to live off the grid. I'm reading this as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I urge that you would do the same thing. They thought they had him on this one. In verse 13, later the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now, understand this. Jesus has just challenged them. He gave them that parable of the vineyard workers. And then they go off, they lick their wounds, and they get together and say, Aha! we got another plan! So they go get some of the actual officials from the Roman government to go with them because they say, we're going to catch them in the act, they're going to hear it, and our problem is going to be solved. So again, verse 13, Later the leaders have sent some Pharisees and supporters to Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Isn't it amazing that the reason the religious figures did this is because public opinion kept them from being able to be outspoken to what they really wanted to say? So what did they do? Instead of speaking out against Jesus, they tried to turn the government and public opinion against him. And we see that today. Now, look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just because you take the Ten Commandments out of a courtroom or a federal building or a classroom, or if you don't do the Pledge of Allegiance in homeroom anymore, if you don't do those things, it does not negate them. It does not make them wrong. It does not make them outdated. It just means that when we ignore those things, those will be the stones that crush us. And so what's happening is, instead of people taking biblical authority, they want people to say, well, if the government says it's okay, then it's okay. But my friend, at the end of the day, we are not going to be judged by what government does. We are going to be judged by what God's word says. Now, and before you go there, just in case you are, this is not a message to tell you that we need to rise up against the government. It actually, it's the very opposite of that. Notice what it says in verse 14. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Boy, they are slapping it on, aren't they? All of this fake praise. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, here's the trap. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Should we pay our taxes this year or should we not? (laughs) Same kind of thing, brother. Here's what I want you to see. This is a trap. This is a bold-faced trap. And here's what we learned. Don't put more emphasis on the words of others over the word of God. Don't put more emphasis on the words of others over the word of God. Jesus knew enough to not regard this flattery from his enemies. Boy, they were piling it on. And sometimes our enemies, they will flatter us just because they want to hurt us. 
It seems like a, mil- a million years ago when I was in middle school and high school. Some of you remember those days, too, where you had your true friends and then you had your fake friends. Not that that happens today, but you have those friends that, that they realize they can get something from you. They realize that you're friends with the right people, so they want to be your friends. They realize that your parents have bought you a car because you have a license. Now they want to ride to school with you everywhere they go. All of these, all of these flattery things. But the truth of the matter is, is, is I remember being that age and still as an adult, we fight with this. What other people think of us does matter whether we say it does or not. But what we see here, Jesus knew enough not to regard this flattery from the enemies. Sometimes our enemies want to flatter us because they either want something from us or they want to hurt us. And sometimes our friends flatter us. Because they just want to be kind and helpful. Even if you are dead wrong in what you're thinking. Oh, you're going to be okay. I totally understand what you're doing. You needed the money, so that's why you robbed the bank. Nobody should arrest you for that. It's the government's fault because they hadn't given you enough stimulus money. That is not good advice. But either way, it is a bad mistake to put too much stock in what others say about us, either good or bad. Jesus teaches that. And then the devout Jews, I don't know if you knew this, but when they kept, but then when they brought this up, the truth is the Jews hated paying the Roman tax. They despised it almost as much as you do. I do taxes, I cannot stand them. But you know what? We've got to pay them. Some Jews felt their status as God's chosen people afforded them the right to not have to pay this. Now, understand this. The Romans have basically, they are ruling over the Jews. And so now they are having to pay the people that have rolled over on them. You're, they're having to pay the bully. They're having to pay. But there again, they're using Romans' roads. They're using the infrastructure. They're using everything as a citizen that a Roman citizen would use. So if you use the services, you've got to pay for them. Back then, there were three taxes that were paid. The first one was a ground tax. They, you would have to pay 10% of all your grain and 20% of all your wine and fruit. So that was just kind of like a sales tax off the top. Then the second one was the actual income tax, which amounted to about 1% of a man's income. Boy, I wish that was the case today. I think last time I heard they say you work three months for a year's worth of, of salary after taxes. It's crazy. The third was a poll tax paid by men ages 12 to 65 and women 14 to 65. And that was about one denarii a year, which equaled about a day's wage of labor. So the trap was set. If, if Jesus agreed that the tax should be paid, then Jesus seemed to deny the sovereignty of God over Israel. But if he said that you should not be paying the tax, then then all of these Roman guards and officials are right here to hear that, and they're going to lock him up because they don't want anybody saying you shouldn't pay your taxes. But Jesus saw through this hypocrisy, and in the second part of verse 15, he says, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin. So he's, he's going around, he's saying, Okay, guys, somebody give me a coin. Show me a Roman coin. And I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he raised it up. Can you imagine? He's raising up this denarii. 
this Roman denarii, this coin, and it's in the very hand that would be crucified in just a few days. He's holding this coin up. He's pointing to it. And he says, whose picture and title are stamped on it? I want to show you a picture of, of what Google tells me what it looked like. But this was a denarii. Whose picture is on it? Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar. Or they said Caesar, they replied at the end of verse 16. Jesus says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And they're like, yes, we've got him. But then he says, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. You see, believers in Jesus have obligations to God and government. On the denarii they showed Jesus, there was the head of Tiberius, the reigning Roman emperor, and around his head was written the abbreviation for Tiberius Caesar, the divine Augustus. And on the back was the title Pontifus Maximus, declaring that Caesar was the high priest of the Roman Empire. The same hand of Jesus, again, that would be crucified in a few days, was holding up this coin. So we say, look, okay, I mean, I know our money now says, for now it says, in God we trust, right? And we have images on our coins, but here's the thing. Just as Tiberius Caesar's picture was on that denarii, do you realize something? And this blew me away when I realized this. What image is stamped on you? You are God's creation. What image is stamped on you? I'll tell you what image is stamped on you. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You have the image of the one true God stamped on you. And that is what you represent. So just as you have to pay taxes and give our money to our government, we have to give our lives for the Lord because we are stamped with His image. His reply completely amazed them. The coin bearing the emperor's image should be given to the emperor. And our lives bearing God's image should belong to Him and be given to Him. His reply completely amazed them. But here's the thing. Jesus' reply amazed them, but the religious leaders did not change their hearts. We know from Luke chapter 23, verse 2, that they accused Jesus of forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which is the exact opposite of what he just said. They lied. What does that tell you and what does that tell me? Even this morning. Here's a here's a a pretty profound statement. Are you ready? I'm glad you're sitting down for this. You may want to write this down. People hear what they want to hear. People hear what they want to hear. I could be sitting up here and preaching till I'm red in the face. And God's word goes out every Sunday, every Wednesday, and in other times. But you're going to hear what you hear. Don't be like these Pharisees that you hear the truth, but yet you choose to ignore it because your pride is too big because you haven't given 
God the authority to which He demands and deserves. Finally, I would just say, Jesus has the power and authority to call you out. Some of you are here today and you're listening to me saying to yourself, who do you think you are? Who are you to tell me what to do, preacher? I'll go ahead and tell you who I am to tell you what to do. I am nothing. I am flesh and bones and failing and all the issues that you've got, i got issues too. If we want to have a good meeting, we can call it the issues meeting where everybody brings their issues together. We can all have a big issue meeting. We can throw them in the fire, throw the stick in the fire. We can cry and talk about it and pray about it and go home. That'll be fine. That's our issues. But we will always have issues because we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God every single day. So who am I to tell you? I'll tell you who I am to tell you that as I preach God's word and I do my very best to not put my spin on it, that I translate it as it is written in the setting that it is written. And we get the truth from God's word by itself without spin, without a bias like a news channel. But we just look and walk through the God of word. I'll tell you who I am to to tell you this. I am nobody But God is the authority. That's who I am. I am simply a messenger. And if I do it wrong, God's going to hold me accountable for that. But if you hear God's word preached and do nothing with that, you are going to be held accountable with that. This is a message from God, not from me today. So, God has the right to tell you what to do, folks. When God tells you to do something, you should do it. And when he tells you not to do something, you should do it. Now, there are those random times where when God tells you what to do, they match up with what you want to do. Isn't that a great feeling? Oh, God told me to do this. I'm just going to step right into it, name it, claim it, and everything's great. But then those times where God says, I want you to do this, you're like, "Uh uh-uh. Not going to do that. What wins every time? Our selfish pride opposes God's authority. What happens when you want to do what God doesn't want you to do? Often God is ignored. And I just want to remind you of this. This is another one of those profound moments. You may want to write this down. There's only one God. And you're not him. There's only one God and I'm not him. There is only one God, and we are not Him. So, this is not your typical Easter Sunday message. Understand that. But on this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the authority of Jesus, the authority that was earned by His sacrifice on the cross and proven by His, his life resurrecting, That is why we celebrate Easter. That is why he has authority. You go back to any grave of any world leader, any shaman, any kind of supposedly wise person, you go to their grave and you will find their bones. But when you go to Jesus' grave, it is empty because he has risen from the dead. He has power over the dead. He has defeated death. He is coming back again. And there is nobody else that can claim that. 
Nobody else will ever do it. So it's his word and his way. He's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and that's why we are worshiping him today. He has the authority to call us out. And when he does call us out, it is not to make us feel guilty and bad about ourselves to where we get worse. It is for us to, to bring these things that he convicts us of to the forefront to repent and be forgiven. I'm going to chase one little rabbit since it's Easter and we'll be done. I don't know if you've noticed it today, but just listen to other churches, other ministries, especially the ones that are extremely popular. They will continue to magnify God's grace. Oh, God is graceful. He, just give me his grace. And God is a God of love. No matter what I'm doing, God is loving me. Oh, I can just feel God's love today. But you hear nothing about repentance. You hear nothing about forgiveness. You hear nothing about changing your life to make yours like his. I'm sorry, but God did, was not, did not create us For Him to serve us, we were created to serve Him. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Isn't it better to build your life on Jesus now before it's too late? If God is working in your heart today, I cannot think of a better Sunday to come to know the Lord today. If he is calling you out on your sin, calling you out on your attitude, calling you out on your your laziness, then I can't think of a better place and a better time to come before the Lord and say, God, I am yours. And this church is a body of believers that will love you and surround you and support you. There's not a better place or a time to do it than right now. To come forward and to admit what you have done. Or just to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I want to know for sure that today I am your child. Today could be the day. You could come down front. I could pray with you. You could come to the altar and just pray by yourself. Maybe you want to join the church. Whatever it may be, this time of invitation is for you to respond.